We are recording. Okay. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another installment of the Double Down WNBA podcast. As always, I am Eric Nemchak. As always, alongside Stephen Trinkwald on this somewhat cold and windy Sunday. Stephen, I don't know if it's like that by you, but uh, it's kind of wintry here. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. It was uh, a nice, beautiful, chilly day in New York City. Uh, a little breezy, but I love it. This is my kind of weather. Your kind of weather? Yeah, mine too. I, I really struggle in the heat. So, uh, Okay, so this week we're going uh, to start a little exercise, ranking players by position. The positions are not quite as specific. Would you like to kind of explain what we're going to do here? Sure. So we're going to break this down into three categories over the course of however many weeks. Probably won't do them all consecutively, but first we're going to start with uh, what we consider the point guards, uh, the offensive initiators, primary ball handlers, uh, and then we'll do a show on wings and a show on bigs or post players, however you want to refer to them. So this week we're, we're going to start out, as I mentioned, with the, uh, the point guards. We have some inclusions uh, that may not fall into what some people consider like a, a traditional point guard in terms of, you know, you'll hear Diana Taurasi be mentioned, you'll hear Arike Gumbawale be mentioned, but we thought they fit more in terms of point guards than in the wing category. Yeah, that, and part of that is for our own benefit, because if we, if we uh, you know, we're arguing between who's a point guard versus who's a shooting guard, who's a shooting guard versus who's a small forward, and it's going to get pretty dicey once we get into, get into bigs, because like, who's a center, who's a power forward, it would, it would take all day. So if you're listening and you don't agree with a player like you, you think, oh, she's not a point guard or whatever, or where is this player? She's probably going to be on our wing list. Uh, that's probably safe to say. So, yeah, so basically just a ball handler who initiates offense, typically too small to be a wing. And, uh, yeah, I think that's that just about hits all of our prerequisites, right? Yep. So that from there, we can get started. I did want to ask you one question before we kind of dove into the rankings themselves. Did you weigh this past season any differently in the bubble a shorter season, a lot of players in terms of at least bigs, especially, but, but some, some players that we'll talk about today, not playing the season. Did you, did you weigh this season any differently than a normal season in terms of these rankings? You mean as far as players who may, who may have set out? Or just uh, if a player had a really great performance in the bubble or struggled in the bubble, did it, did it weigh any differently than a, a normal season would have? Uh, for me, no, because I think, I mean, they're all playing in the same bubble. Uh, and if you get into like, well, this player is older than this player, so it might take them longer to get in shape. I mean, I don't know. I don't think that was that way much. And did, did you consider it heavily? No, I, th- I thought about it, but honestly, like I probably didn't weigh against like bubble success enough. Like I think in some instances, you know, let's say Kelsey Mitchell, for example, she had an, a spectacular shooting season in a season that where if you are hot from beyond the arc, you know, you don't have as much of a sample to kind of have that normalize and there are maybe some other instances as well. So, and I think the one thing that uh, I would say is unless you were like really missing a ton of talent from your roster, like I think struggling in the bubble was maybe more indicative than having a lot of success in the bubble, if that makes sense. Yeah. And, and you also have to say like, well, what if it's like a younger player, like a Kelsey Mitchell or maybe like a Marina, maybe it's, I mean, it's reasonable to say that, well, they just, they just improved, you know, it's not, related to the bubble conditions or anything like that. So interesting question, um, but that might kind of be splitting hairs and or delving into territory that we're not really, you know, behind the scenes stuff or or preparation and everything like that. So, yeah. So one other thing I just wanted to say before we kind of get into it is that we have these players ranked, but also in tiers. Uh, So typically if a player is in the same tier as another player, you know, it means it's, it's pretty close. So, you know, if you think, you know, one player in another tier, is uh, or one player in the same tier is better than a player that we had ahead of them in the same tier that I think is splitting hairs a little bit more than when they are kind of in separate tiers obviously also because ranking players like one through 25 would be way too difficult want to get started in our our first tier uh how many players did you have in your tier one and how did you sort them I had three players in my tier one superstar best of the best no question about it i'll give you one guess as to who my number one was probably the same player i had courtney vandersloot oh you're correct you're correct Uh, um i don't think there's i mean you you, i mean i think there is you could definitely debate this but um as far as pure point guards go as far as four generals as far as players who initiate offense who drive their team success um it's hard to argue against this one 
I think. And maybe the other players in those in this list can still have an argument against Courtney Vandersloot, but given her performance this past season, I think she is the pretty clear first tier, first player in the first tier. Would you agree with that? I would agree. I mean, obviously you'd agree because you have the same yep. player. But. Have her number one. You know, coming in before this season and before the prior season, uh, I don't think I would have had her number one. I would have had the player that I have number two at number one. Uh, and, and honestly, number two is probably a little bit high for that player at this point. But Vandersloot deserves to be here. You know, she was in the 100th percentile in overall offense uh, this season. You know, 100 percentile in half-court offense. She was in the 99th percentile last season behind a couple of players who, like, barely played, like, 38 total possessions between the two players that she was behind. She's just, you know, one of the elite offensive players in this league. Like, it's well-documented, her breaking her own assist record year after year, but she's also very efficient, you know, 610 true shooting percentage uh, this past season, you know, 604, uh, 606 a couple of years ago, 594 before that. Uh, you know, the one thing I would say about Courtney Vandersloot is wish that she would be more aggressive offensively and kind of look mm-hmm. for her own uh, scoring a little bit more. I think that kind of takes Chicago's offense to to a whole nother level. And she can, you know, she can do it all. She She's obviously a terrific passer. She's a capable shooter from beyond the arc, over 38% in three of the past four seasons. And she's a plus finisher for her size and position, uh, you know, last season, notwithstanding. So best point guard in the league for sure. Okay. I'm glad uh, you finally came around on that one. Uh, I can guess who you have at number two. Is that Chelsea Gray? Chelsea Gray is my number two. And I should say, I also have uh, three players in this tier. uh, And let's talk about the number two player here. Chelsea Gray, kind of based on reputation at this point, right? Like Mm -hmm. 518 true shooting this year, 509 last year, like a couple down years for for Chelsea Gray. She just hasn't looked like she's in sync with the rest of the team. And I mean, she's a tremendously gifted player. I I think she has the best court vision in the league or one of the best court visions in the league. Like if you're comparing her to Vandersloot, which, you know, has, has been a popular comparison over the past few years, I think she is the... She's a more naturally gifted player as far as court vision and as far as passing ability. Like she just makes some ridiculous passes, like passes you, you don't even like, like I couldn't even see them from my couch, let alone her on the court. Right. But it, she just seemed to kind of top out a couple seasons ago and under Derek Fisher, she just hasn't, that has not had that same success. I think she's still pretty clearly a top three lead guard or, or, or point guard, however you want to call it, but it's just the individual success hasn't been there. You know, and, and we're talking, she set herself a very, very, very high bar in the last two seasons in which the Sparks went to the finals. So this isn't any like disrespect to Chelsea Gray or anything, but you're right. I think it is kind of off reputation at this point because her percentages have continued to decline. She's not really getting to the free throw line as much as she has in the past, which I think is somewhat concerning. And I don't know, just like the decision-making, the assist turnover percentage, it's just not all there. Now, with that being said, like LA still cannot score when she's out of the game, right? And it's not like mm-hmm. she's, they were some elite offense with her out there, but but the numbers are pretty staggering and they, they just absolutely cannot do anything with some pretty good talent, I would say. You know, they don't have necessarily, or they didn't at least last season have like a Chelsea Gray replacement, but you still have, you know, Candace Parker who does a fair amount of ball handling and, and some pretty talented wings and Nick Agumake, of course. But the other thing to mention with Chelsea Gray is like, the playoff failures in the last couple of seasons. Like she going back to 2018, she was very effective in LA's first round game. Then their second round route against Washington in which they got completely destroyed. She yeah. was two for 11, 0 for nine from two 2019. She was pretty effective in their first playoff game against Seattle. And then of course got completely erased by Jasmine Thomas in Connecticut's three game sweep of the Sparks. And then she was a non-factor in their one game playoff this season against Connecticut. You know, she went the entire first half, as many will recall, without a point or an assist. And, you know, it's not like she had some great second half either. So yeah, her her shot profile is trending in the wrong direction. Her playoff performances the past few seasons have been trending in the wrong direction, but she's still really good. So she's number two. I will take a stab at who you have at number three. Uh, please. I think it's Diana Tarazi. Diana Taurasi is number three, and yes. honestly, she could be number two on this list, um, even with she being could, yeah. one of the worst defensive players in the league. She's one of the ones that I kind of had maybe the hardest time like considering a point guard. One, she she plays next to a point guard, which a lot of these players do on this list. 
Uh, but she's never going to defend point guards. Like she's always just going to defend whoever is, uh, you know, kind of the three and D player on the other team. But, you know, nevertheless, her last two healthy seasons were the two most efficient seasons of her career and two of the most efficient seasons from like a high volume perimeter player. It's, I mean, she continues to transcend her own greatness as far as scoring from basically ever anywhere on the court. I mean, we, we talk a lot about how Phoenix kind of uh, made that run after Brittany Griner departed from the bubble. Diana Taurasi was a huge factor because she was like pulling up from 30 feet and canning these threes on a consistent basis. Uh, she's probably the only player in the league who's going to be doing that. And to be able to do that at, you know, her age um, with the amount of miles she has in her body, she can still carry an offense and she still makes some incredible passes too. When I was talking about Gray being a very naturally gifted player, Tarazi has those same gifts. It's just that she's, you know, she's scoring most of the time, but when she's playing the one, when she's running the offense, I mean, you have to pick your poison. Like, how, how far out do you come and guard Diana Tarazi? And if you do, you know, she's going to find somebody who's wide open in the corner or wide open under the hoop. So I actually had her at number two and great number three. I could see the argument for sure, but I mean, she is still killing it. Still. Yeah, no, I, I think that's totally fair. And, you know, a 625 true shooting percentage in 2020, that's like tied for the third highest among uh, any of the players we'll be talking about today. Her 2018 season, you know, obviously 2019 was a lost season, but 2018, 638 true shooting percentage was one of the most efficient, se- efficient seasons for a high usage perimeter player in WNBA history. Like, you're not going to find many better seasons than that. And that's at age 36 and 38 seasons, respectively. So, you know, we, we can talk about the terrible defense, but and the complaining and the not getting back and, and stuff like that. But at the end of the day, like offense is more important than defense, particularly for perimeter players. And she, like you said, can just carry you for, uh, for stretches and for games. And, you know, she's still one of the best doing it. I think well, maybe the one thing you could say against her, even her offensive output at this point, is that she's very reliant on, on two things, uh, producing behind the line, behind the three-point line at this stage of her career, over 70% three-point attempt rate, and getting to the free-throw line. You know, almost half of her shooting possessions are coming from the line. And, you know, between relying on the three-point shooting and relying on getting to the line, and, you know, we talked about it last week with um, someone, I forget who, but we talked about, (laughs) uh, you know, physically actually kind of demanding your way to the free-throw line. Jasmine Jones, it was. Jasmine Jones, yeah, that was right. Yeah. Um, You know, Tarasi, a little bit less of the case there. It it is a little bit more kind of leveraging fall-seeking behavior. But my, my point is that those things are a little bit more, uh, unreliable in kind of high volatile, situations. Yeah. yeah, volatile is a great word for it. So, uh, you know, she definitely still deserves to be in this top tier, but something to consider. Okay. And, you know, regarding the defense, I mean, <laughs> I would say that Diana Trazi's defense has been kind of a punchline in the community for a long time now. But looking at these tiers and looking at these top guards, not many of them are known as very good defenders. So in the context of this discussion, I don't know how much of a dig that actually is. Yeah, and, and the ones that are are – not very efficient offensive players. So. Right, right. So, as you said, offense more important than defense in most cases. So, okay, um, we both have three players in this tier one. Moving on to tier two, I just had star for this this tier. Um, Clear cut star player, all star. I have I have one player in tier two actually. You have and one then, player in tier two. Okay. Yeah, and then I have a couple players that are star caliber for sure. But I think this player is just a hair above those, those other two players that I, so I have one player in tier two and then two players in tier three before I get to kind of the non star types and the player in this tier uh, by herself is Skylar Diggins Smith. Oh, um, really? Okay. Yeah. I think there's a pretty good case that she could be made like for her to be in the tier above this or the tier below this, which is kind of part of the reason why I had her in a tier by herself. Uh, where did you have Skylar Diggins Smith among your next tier of players? So I actually, I had her second and then I kind of called an audible while we were doing this and I moved her down to fourth. Um, I thought Diggins had a very strange season in that the individual numbers looked great, but the team was just not good at all with her on the floor. And when I kind of looked into why that might be, I mean, again, defense, not very good at all. Actively terrible. Yeah, pretty bad, pretty atrocious with her and with her and Tarasi in, in the same backcourt. I mean, Bree Turner was doing a lot of cleaning up. Um, but I, I don't know. I don't know. Like, it, it, as far as a player who consistently creates shots for others or consistently leads an offense, I don't think she's on the same level as any of the players we've talked about thus far. 
granted she is very very good at dribble penetration and getting to the rim and getting to the free throw line and she showed herself to be a very capable three-point shooter i just don't know if that three-point shooting you know we looked at her coming into the season as well how much gravity does she have off the basketball i'm willing to say this season she just had a hot shooting season but i i, I, don't, I don't i don't think I, I i can't agree with you on, on her being a possible tier one i just think she's a, a clear step below and Gray. Let me state my case. If you okay, know. yeah, yeah. This is probably one of the ones actually that really, you know, I considered kind of weighing her bubble success against her to to a little uh, degree because fifty three percent shooting from two point range is by far a career high. Um, she was pretty much the best guard in the league, finishing at the rim in the half court last season, and you know that's something where when we see kind of some of the star bigs come back to the WNBA, you know, maybe that finishing isn't quite as elite, but she, she was also kind of buoyed by, by some hot shooting from long two. you know, she was like 56% between 15 feet and the three point line. But yeah, this was her best three point shooting season by a, a lot when you consider the volume and also just, you know, the raw percentage, it was her uh, first full season really as a plus shooter, uh, you know, she was just under 40% on six attempts per 36 minutes. Like that, that's pretty good volume. You know, it's not like she was kind of a low volume shooter on there. And like you said, she, she gets to the line reliably. Like I think her combination, if she's able to keep up the shooting, her combination of scoring at the rim, getting to the free throw line and the ability to space the floor, you know, there's really not a lot of players on this list that can do all three of those. That's true. Um, as you mentioned, the defense was, was really, really bad. The on off numbers were among the worst of, any regular rotation player, never mind like players that were considering like all-star so or all-league caliber. And, you know, the assists to turnover numbers like were both trending in the wrong direction. But I mean, you know, she was playing a lot with Diana Taurasi. She was playing a lot with Bria Hartley, who took a, a huge kind of step in terms of her role uh, as an offensive player this season. So, you know, I, I do kind of want to see a second season of, you know, her playing with these types of players. And she never really kind of played with like, you know, a Diana Tross. Never, never mind two other point guards that we're going to be considering in terms of, you know, top 15 or so-ish players here. So, um, you know, maybe this is a, a little bit of an overreaction, but I think just her, her ability as a, a three-level scorer, you know, something we talk about all the time is mm-hmm. kind of rare in, in this list. Fair enough. There's some other players on, on this list that have uh, that ability as well. So I'm interested to see where you rank them. Sure. So who did you have at the top of tier two? I had Christy Tolliver. I think this is another player whose offense uh, greatly outweighs her defense. Tolliver not, has never been known as a good defender, but her offense is just so, I mean, she, like you just said, is a three-level scorer. As you like to say, she has a extremely versatile jump shot. And I mean, good things happen when she's on the floor. There's no real way to to effectively take her out of the basketball game. You know, maybe you can, like maybe you can deny off the ball, but she can play both on and off the basketball. You know, maybe to the level of, uh, and Tarazi can probably do it better than her. But of the rest of the guards on this list, I think she is probably the best at that. Maybe Rika Gunbowale as well, if, if you get what I'm saying. But yeah, Christy Tolliver, just a deadly shooter. Um, she can get to the hoop. She can finish. She can set up others. In an offensive player, in a lead guard, I'm not sure what else you can ask for. She doesn't really have the gaudy assist numbers, but I think her just devastating shooting from everywhere, everywhere else on the court outweighs that. Granted, she did not play last season, so maybe I am looking back a little too fondly at her accomplishments in Washington. I'm not sure. She was my number five player, the the first player in, in Tier 3. Oh, okay. Um, yep. So, I mean, I love Christy Tolliver, like, and there's, there's no doubt at all that Christy Tolliver is a more malleable player than Skylar Diggins-Smith, right? Like, mm-hmm. as you were saying, she is a tremendous player on or off the ball, something we talked about in our LA Sparks Outlook episode before the season started, before we knew Tolliver was going to miss the season. Like, her last, the last time we saw her in Washington, she was in the 96th percentile as a pick-and-roll ball handler in her own offense, 99th percentile overall in pick-and-roll and 98th percentile as a spot-up player. So, like, there's not much more you can ask for whether, you know, when you want someone who can just kind of do whatever is needed from them as an offensive player. So, you know, we we mentioned it a couple weeks ago, maybe not, you know, the the player you want B 
being your initiator every single time up the floor. But what she brings is so valuable that, that she really does have to be this high. The one thing that's worth considering, as you mentioned, you know, she did miss last season. She's going into her age 34 season. She's, I think, the fourth oldest player that we'll be talking about today besides uh, Sue Bird, Tarasi, and Leilani Mitchell. Mm-hmm. That's at least a consideration. Also to consider uh, her playing next to Chelsea Gray. You know, yeah. like, like how, how is, will, will Chelsea Gray rebound with Chrissy Tolliver next to her? Will Chrissy Tolliver... You know, we'll age catch up to her. That's that's something to watch for, I think. So you had Tolliver at the top of this list. Who was next mm-hmm. for you? I had Sue Bird. This might be a little bit of an overreaction, but at some point, I think you just need to take into account the intangibles. And I'm not usually this type of guy when I'm, when I'm evaluating players, but if there is a player in this in this pool of players whose mere presence on the floor calms everyone down you know, has everyone run through their sets better, is a tremendous leader, it's got to be Sue Bird. And she is the epitome of, and I hate, hate, hate this term, but I'm going to use it, making her teammates better. Uh, to me, like, if you're, if you're good at basketball, you're going to make your teammates better. But how, how people throw that around, like, you know, with the intangibles and the leadership and, and being in the traditional point guard, basketball IQ, Sue Bird has all of that in spades. Yeah, I mean, and it's not like she can't score either. I mean, she's still a, a really good jump shooter. She's no threat going to the rim pretty much at all. But, you know, she's a player who you can't sag off on behind the three-point line. She can play off the basketball due to her three-point shooting ability. And uh, if you go into the pick and roll, she's going to kill you. So I think Sue Bird, even heading into her, you know, what is she going to be, 39, 40 next year? She's still really, really, really good at what she does. And I think she's still a star point guard. So I had Sue Bird next in my list as well. So that would be number five for you. She's the number six player for me, the last mm-hmm. player in this tier three. And this is something that you and I have talked about, I think, off the pod before. And fans, observers, media, I think can sometimes have a hard time. Like if an all-time great player is still an effective player, like not completely washed, but also not at their like all-time type effectiveness, mm-hmm. like not still viewing them in that realm because they are still effective they're not clearly a diminished version of themselves and it's hard for us to not see them as that all-time level and I I wonder if that's happening a little bit with Sue Bird and and even maybe Diana Taurasi like she's definitely still an effective player Uh, I obviously have her very high on this list at, at number six she's also on an insanely stacked roster and you know in many ways like what makes the whole engine run offensively uh you know they were 15 points better offensively when, when she was on the floor and she was massively efficient in her own very limited individual output. But, you know, what does Suber look like if she is not surrounded by four all league defenders? You know what I mean? If, if she doesn't yeah. have elite play finishers at, at all four positions surrounding her. So maybe having her in tier three is underrating her contributions a little bit, but I don't know, like it's tough for sure. It, but she's, you know, she played half the season last year. Like, like you said, she never gets to the rim. She never gets to the line. She's, she's obviously super effective. And, and uh, you know, Seattle is a completely different team when it's Jordan candidate in the game than when it's Sue Bird. But uh, it, it's hard to kind of remove her from that context. It is. And that's a fair point, especially pertaining to, um, you know, a legend keeping her elite player status, you know, after she has passed. But I mean, it's the same thing. Like it's, she was never good at getting she, – she was never a player who got to the rim a lot. She was never a player who, who drew a lot of fouls, except for that, that one weird season when she had a really high free throw rate. I, don't, I forget which, which season it was. But the things that she's good at – I mean, there's a reason why she's still playing at, at this high of a level. It's because she's, not, she's never been a player who's, who's been relied on as an athlete. Um, she's never been a player who's been relied on as a physically dominant player. She dominates the game with her skills and her IQ and her intangibles. And that's the reason why she's still effective. So I, I don't know. It's, I, I think she's, she's primed to take a hit eventually. But then again, we said the same thing back in, what was it, 2015, 2016, when her numbers were starting to trend downward. It's like, oh, Super might be done. And then she keeps playing and she keeps winning championships. So that was fair. Okay, so you have my, – my Tier 3 is done. You still have a couple players in your Tier 2. I do, um, which I am referring to as stars. Um, so interpret that how you will. After Bird, I have Arike Gunvawale. I think, whew, I mean, this is, okay, first of all, this is a player who I, people are listening are going to rage about this. Like, she's not a point guard. I mean, okay, fair, but go back to our previous criteria. She 
has been initiating a lot of Dallas's offense for a lot of her first two seasons, and she's been pretty good at it. Um, Steven, you're fond of citing her assist to turnover ratio. Specifically, she rarely turns the ball over, which is pretty impressive for a, a, such a young player. Okay, I'll give it to you. It, it's hard for a player who shoots all the time to turn the ball over as well, but she's also pretty good at setting up other teammates. I think that's an underrated skill of hers. Um, she's another three-level scorer. She's, an, she's a player who maybe more than any other player we've talked, to, talked about so far is a one-woman fast break or a one-woman transition game. And I think that's, that, that's, it's hard to overstate the impact of that. And she's just a player who's like another one, you look at the team she's on, where would they be without her? I mean, it's, it's hard to say because she has been the Dallas Wings for the past two years. Granted, the Dallas Wings have not been so good for the past two years, but I hardly think that's Arike Gungawale's fault. Yeah, she's kind of hard to evaluate in, in some ways. And she is uh, the number one player in, in my next tier here. Okay. I have her seventh overall. And she, like you said, she kind of has this insane offensive burden. And, you know, burden is, is kind of a strange word because I'm sure she uh, relishes the opportunities she has. But, you know, her playmaking from at least a statistical standpoint is pretty much the same in year two as it was in year one. 3.6 turnovers per 36 minutes, 22 and a half assist rate in year one. 3.7 assists per 36 minutes, 20.5 assist rate in year two. Her own individual offense, you know, it, the efficiency is improving, but but still not amazing. Uh, you know, 528 true shooting last year, but this was a Dallas team that managed to to be average offensively, despite not being a particularly good three-point shooting team, despite not really having any kind of presence inside from, you know, a, a post standpoint. And that's Arike Gumbawale. Like she, she's the alpha and the omega on this team. She, she, she really kind of does it all. Like she's over 30% usage for the second season in a row. It's going to be really interesting to see kind of what she looks like and, and what Dallas looks like under a coach that's not Brian Agler. Mm-hmm. Um, just to kind of see like the role that she plays. Uh, and it, it is kind of a unique one, right? Like nobody else really is asked to or decides to play the volume of isolation that Arike Gumbawale does. And so, you know, I, I don't know. I, I think I'm not as high on Arike as probably her most ardent supporters, but I also think there's this like kind of weird contingency of, of fans and observers that are maybe too hard on her and, and think that she doesn't contribute to winning basketball. And that she's just putting up empty stats on a bad team. And I don't think that's the case. I think she's, she's a very good player that if there was another player in this role, you know, Dallas would be a lot worse off for her. You know, w- one thing I wanted to address I think a lot of Ogumbawai's detractors says, say like she shoots too much or she doesn't set up her teammates or whatever. On this Dallas team, where are those shots going? Where else do those shots go besides Arike? Does she take a lot of bad shots? Yes. She's a player who I think I'd like to see her prof- her shot profile Tarazied because she's, she's not the shooter that Tarazi is, but she can get to the rim very, very easily. A lot of bad shots, but at the same time, like you have to take that within, within context of the team, right? Like I said, where else would those shots be going? Would that other offense, would that alternative offense be able to consistently manufacture shots like Rika can do on her own? And I'm not convinced. Well, you know, I, I think I disagree with you a little bit on, in that regard because they do have some pretty good 3 and D players or at least three players. You know, uh, Marina Mabry is a pretty credible uh, threat from behind the arc. They, uh, you know, Alicia Gray and Kayla Thornton are, are pretty good 3 and D players. You know, they had some decent uh, shooting presences in terms of like, you know, the Katie Lou Samuelsons and stuff like that. So they don't have anyone that can really create on their own, but in terms of play finishers, you know, I think Arike could be a little bit better as, you know, in, in terms of setting up her teammates. Oh, she was setting up. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. I was referring to like other players creating offense. Okay. Yeah. I do think that's totally fair. And, and Gray is really like the only other player that, yeah. seen that can do any of that. Very, very strangely built team there. Okay. And then uh, I had Skyler Diggins-Smith after Enrique Agumbawale. Um, I, could, I could hear you if, you if you flip these two or put Skyler Diggins-Smith maybe above Sue Bird. I, I guess I'm just a little gun-shy on her, on her bubble season. I think she's due for a regression. But she is a capable three-level scorer, and, and like I said, she's really good at getting to the rim. So that's uh, – she's always going to have that going for her, I think. She's, she's always going to have that strong upper body and that effective foul-seeking behavior. So I think she's – Clearly a star lead guard. And this is where we differ because of our tiers, correct? Yes. Yeah, so so I'm already in my tier four. 
Uh, that was my number seven player. And, and you also just finished your number seven player with yeah. Diggin Smith. So who leads off your next tier? Okay. My tier three uh, above average starter, Kennedy Carter leads off my tier three. And uh, I think there's a good chance that she's going to be advancing a tier or two by the time her career is all said and done. She is like Arike Gumbawale in that she can call her number very often and still do it very effectively. I think the one thing that's key that's currently holding her back would be, well, I mean, there's a couple things. One would be silly fouls or frustration fouls. And the other thing would be, you know, assist to turnover ratio, but my God, I mean, she's, she's already maybe the best, one of the best players in the league at creating her own shot or creating shots for others off the dribble. She's going to be an amazing pick and roll guard. Um, she can get to the rim at will. She's going to be a guard who gets, who shoots a ton of free throws because she's just so physically imposing. And she also has tremendous ball skill. I think she needs to show um, a more consistent three-point shot and not so many pull-up two-pointers. But other than that, I mean, I think the sky's the limit for her. I agree with you in the sense that the sky's the limit. I agree that she is going to be up here for me sooner rather than later. Um, But we are, I'm in my fourth tier now at uh, number eight. I have Kennedy Carter in tier six at number 15. Really? Okay. Uh, So, you know, I just don't think the contributions to winning basketball are there yet. And, and maybe, you know, if I, I thought about just kind of baking in what I expect next season, she would, she would be a little bit higher, but just in terms of how effective she was and, and kind of the contributions she brought to, to this uh, Atlanta team this year, like they weren't really better with her on the floor. She wasn't amazingly efficient. Uh, you know, her, the one thing you can say about her is she has the ability to take kind of any shot she wants. You know what I mean? Like she can get all the way to the rim. She can beat her defender uh, just like off the dribble. Like, uh, you know, she doesn't really need a pick and roll to be able to to kind of get that far. But the number eight player for me was, I think, a player that you have coming up pretty soon. And that's Kelsey Mitchell. You know, we talk about Arike Gumbawale needing to step up her playmaking. Well, Kelsey Mitchell, you know, it did not really show what we were kind of looking for in terms of a playmaker, but her offensive season was spectacular last year. She had such a good season shooting the basketball, which I don't think I was really surprised at. Um, in fact, I think her her shot selection improved in that like she was well maybe it wasn't her selection maybe it was just her finishing because i think she improved finishing uh like her shot selection maybe she takes some shots if you're like well i'd rather see the the ball move but again it's like she's such a good shooter it's it's hard to really argue with a lot of the the shots that she takes in the grand scheme of things um but you're right as far as a lead guard is concerned so far of the players we've talked about she's probably the least point guardy uh, of the players that I think we prefer to. I mean, can she run a WNBA offense? That's I mean, my it does, question. It doesn't seem like it, to be honest. And maybe that will come around. She certainly played a, a different role in 2020. And I think to her benefit, right? Like mm-hmm. she definitely had a, a better diet of shots in 2020. You know, her her mid-range, like 10 feet to three-point line dropped from 26% in 2019 down to 20%. She got closer to the basket more her three-point attempt rate was actually down and and a lot of that was just getting closer to the rim but overall as an offensive player uh you know she went from or an individual offense I should say went from the 66th percentile in 2019 to the 85th percentile uh went from the 35th percentile scoring from the pick and roll to the 85th percentile this past season so and and one thing we had said coming into this fever season was that we would like to see Mitchell and the fever kind of diversify her three-point looks and that she was not an effective player coming off screens prior to this season. Well, she changed that in a a huge way in 2020 after finishing plays coming off screens at just like three and a half percent of the time of her possessions, 12 total points for 18 possessions in 2019 uh, over a point per possession in the 78th percentile in 2020 coming off screens, almost 17% frequency. So her ability to change the types of shots she was getting from the arc, they weren't all kind of coming off the dribble or just in like normal catch and shoots, like she was able to improve her coming off screens. And I think that was one of the things, you know, obviously the offense overall under Marion Stanley was not kind of what we were hoping for, but this one thing that, that we wanted to see definitely improved, but you know, the, the assist rate went way down, her turnover rate increased, you know, that being said, she was playing with way more of a distributing point guard this year than she had prior to, right? Like Julie Aleman and Erica Wheeler are, are vastly different players. But yeah, she, I think she still kind of has to prove that she can be like 
an offensive engine in terms of creating for others, but I'm just not going to blame the Fever's failures on, on Kelsey Mitchell. Like, is it on Kelsey Mitchell that, you know, Tiffany Mitchell had the highest usage on the team and had a 485 true shooting percentage? Like, the offense completely tanked when Kelsey Mitchell was off the floor. Uh, now, granted, the defense was horrendous when Kelsey Mitchell was on the floor, and, and that's something that needs to be addressed. Like, she, it was going to be horrendous either way, though. Yeah, that's, that's a great point. It, it was going to be horrendous either way. So they were a fine offense when, when she was out there and absolutely dreadful when she wasn't, and her own individual numbers were spectacular. Very good argument. You know, I, I never thought I'd, I'd be talking to somebody who was higher on Kelsey Mitchell than I was. Um, <laughs> I, ha- I have her at, let's see, one, two, three, four. I have her 10th. Maybe I'm just a little disappointed that her playmaking hasn't panned out, but um, I'm obviously higher on, on, on Kennedy than you are significantly higher. And uh, my next player after Kennedy Carter, um, my number nine player, was Kelsey Plum. And this is something, this is hard for me because maybe I'm just, again, this is another player who missed all of the bubble season, unfortunately, with a, a knee injury. Vegas would have looked a lot different with her on the court. Plum, I think, is a player who has not really been utilized in under Bill Lambeer. I know, shocking, right? A, a smallish guard who's good at shooting threes was not utilized well under Bill Lambeer. I just think she's a very advanced playmaker. And maybe the numbers don't back this up, but maybe, or maybe, you know, it's, it's just a matter of that Vegas doesn't really have anybody else like her. So when she's not on the court, it's her, her absence is glaring. But I think she is a well-rounded scorer, a well-rounded lead guard who has a pretty versatile jump shot. Maybe the synergy numbers don't agree with me. I don't know. I still think she's an above-average starter, and I think she's still got a lot more, a lot room to get better. So I, I thought I was going to be perhaps overrating Kelsey Plum a little bit. I have her in the next tier down. And, you know, come to think of it, I, I think I probably even still have her a little bit too low. But what we are kind of you know, to varying degrees, perhaps overrating her or, or just rating her on is like not even necessarily like what we've seen from her in the regular season, right? It's it's her playoff success. It, it's kind of what we saw in that 2019 playoff run where where Vegas looked like uh, they were really going to give the Mystics a fight and, and she looked like one of the best players in that series. Yeah, that's true. And it, it, I guess it is difficult to or maybe it's, it's a bit of a fallacy to, to base so much on that one, because it's taking a much smaller sample size over a season long sample size. She did struggle during that regular season. And also because it's only against one team, not several different teams. So I don't know. I, I still think if, if the workload increases and the, and the consistency is there, she can be in this tier of players. I mean, I think Vegas would have been a much better team this year with her on the court. And they're already pretty good this year. Yeah, I agree with you. And as I mentioned, she she's at the top of my next tier. And one thing I'll, I'll also agree, echo what you were saying is like, you know, she's not really being optimized under Bill Lambier, right? Like if, if they were playing in maybe a little bit more of a modern offense, I think we, we'd probably get a little bit better version of her. But it'll be interesting to see kind of where she's at because I'm, you know, I, I know we just saw an amazing Stewie season, but Achilles injuries are still very scary. You know, she is right around the same age as Stewie was when she got hurt. So she has that on her side at least, but, but it's a worrying injury to be sure. So I have Plum at 13. My, my next player after Kelsey Mitchell, my number nine player is Jasmine Thomas. So this is kind of where we are. We're really starting to differ here. So Jasmine Thomas is the third player in my tier four and she's, you know, maybe I'm overrating her a little bit, but, but. The next player I have is pretty similar, I think, in a lot of ways um, and, and doesn't play for the team that I root for. So, you know, Thomas is obviously a below average offensive player, I think, and one of the best perimeter defenders on the planet. Uh, and, and offense is more valuable than defense, particularly at this position. Uh, and, and the offensive resume is not very impressive. You know, 30th percentile as a pick and roll player, 22nd percentile in individual offense in pick and roll. Uh, those numbers are considerably down from 2019, you know, when the Sun had much better floor spacing, much better play finishers, just much better offense overall. You know, she was right. 62nd percentile overall in 19 when, you know, Courtney Williams, Shakina Strickland, John Quill Jones, like those are all better players than, than at least offensively in their roles than kind of what they were looking at in, um, in 2020 
And, you know, Thomas, she, she's number nine on my list, but she's definitely better suited as like a secondary or tertiary creator and a spot-up player. Like she is a very effective spot-up player. And if the ball could be in her hands less in the half court, I think she would really benefit from it. So maybe I'm overrating her a little bit, having her up this high. You know, I think the players below her are just like, I, I just, I look at some of these players below and I just think, you know what? Like, I think Jasmine Thomas would probably lock a lot of these players down. So <laughs> maybe that's like an unfair assessment. Like, you know, the, the Diana Taurasi's and stuff like have no problem, you know, ranking those players, even if they are bad defenders above, because you're not stopping those players. But like Thomas is, is a great defensive player in terms of like, it's so valuable to be able to just kind of lock up sure. the other team's lead offensive player. But, you know, if you have serious championship aspirations, she probably should be like your fifth or at worst your fourth best offensive player and not really be relied on to create efficient offense. Well, what, what is she now? Gosh, probably fourth, I would say. But that's with a, a very unique team around her where one of their two best players, Alyssa Thomas, is a, a paint-bound, undersized four, you know? And, you know, I, I would say she's a considerably better player. Jasmine Thomas, that is, is a considerably better player than the other guard starter Brian January or even if it's Kyla Charles whoever it ends up being next season so I, I would say she's probably fourth right I'd agree with that and the thing about Jasmine Thomas is yeah I mean her offense is, is, is no great shakes but I agree she's an elite perimeter defender she has been for a very long time and you're right the value in having a player like that I don't believe like there are none of the players we've talked about thus far have even come close to the to the level that Jasmine Thomas is on defense to the point where a, a, a selling point is, okay, you go guard that perimeter player and we won't worry about it. That is such a luxury to have a, a, a defender like that on your team. What I would like to see from Jasmine Thomas is, is be on a different team. No, um, is, <laughs> no, I mean, like hypothetically speaking, how would she look if she was on an off on a, on a team that had more shooting, more floor spacing, as you said, where like the half court offense just wasn't just such a consistent struggle. Maybe yeah. she, maybe she she reflect better. Like, I I'm not as high on you as I'm not as high on her as you, but I have a lot of respect for her and what she does and her ability to defend and just the fact that she's been able to carve out a niche for herself in this league with this sort of skill set. So yeah yeah I I could see where you're coming from on that for sure. Okay so so you have her in a tier below this tier that we're in right now. How does the rest of this tier round out for you? Okay, so I had Mitchell immediately after Plum. Mm -hmm. Then I had Crystal Dangerfield, and then I had Erica Wheeler. Wheeler is one I'm, I wasn't quite sure about because, as we've talked about before, I mean, she had a career year two seasons ago. Wasn't in the bubble last year. And so much of that was a hot jump shooting. Um, she can't create for herself, but she doesn't really draw a lot of fouls. She can shoot it, but, like, uh, she can dribble, but does she create for others? I don't know. I could be talked into Wheeler going another tier or two below this. But Dangerfield, I'm, I'm actually pretty confident in this one because, I mean, we talked about it last week on our rookie point guard recap. She brings a few things that are immediately, like, you can't discount. One is that she shoots it from several feet behind the three-point line, maybe out of necessity, but doesn't matter. It's still a really good thing. Two is she's a, th a three-level scorer, as we have often talked about already in this episode. And three is she can kind of play within whatever kind of offensive scheme you want to run. You know, she's a great pick-and-roll player. She's a player who I think would, you know, benefit from, like, a motion offense as well. She's just a very well-rounded and I don't know. I don't, I don't think there are many deficiencies in her game already, despite maybe you could like say the assist to turnover ratio isn't what you'd want, but I mean, she's a rookie and as a rookie who is a generous five, five, like, and as you like to say is already leading the team in scoring, that's a pretty solid case for being an above average starter in my book. Yep. I have Dangerfield in this tier, her ability to just be able to already just like beat her defender, you know, kind of one-on-one -on -one or, or off the dribble is really impressive. You know, the one thing I was like hesitant about just in terms of like having her ranked this high. So she's the last player I have in this tier. I, I have one more player between Jasmine Thomas and Crystal Dangerfield. Okay. Um, and then I get, get to a next tier that starts with Kelsey Plum, as we mentioned. But I, I couldn't help but think maybe this is premature. Maybe her defense will end up being like a major liability. 
maybe the 22 game sample provided an environment for some unsustainable offensive production. You know, she didn't really have the passing season maybe you would want from someone this high on like a point guard list. But, you know, at the end of the day, like she, she's a really, really productive player. I, I think a better player than all the players we have below her, maybe with the exception of, of Kennedy Carter, who just, you know, didn't have maybe the, uh, in some ways, the rookie season that, that we expected. But I would expect to be much higher on this list moving forward. But like she's a baller, I think she's going to be very high on this list. And the so so I'll I'll move on. I don't really have too much more to say about her because we we obviously talked about her extensively last week. But move on. So she's number eleven. Jasmine Thomas was number nine. The number ten player I had on this list was Natasha Cloud. Uh, and I, I don't have Erica Wheeler in this tier. I don't have her in the tier below this. I have her in in tier six. Oh wow! Uh, okay. I think I'm I'm just not really that high on her overall. But Natasha Cloud is a player that all the kind of uh, cliches you say about players that don't have gaudy statistical resumes actually I think <laughs> applied to Natasha Cloud she just has like this amazing floor game that a lot of players on this list don't have in terms of her feel her intelligence decisions as an offensive player with and without the basketball uh, but she is still limited as an offensive player and it's funny to think that like statistically in a lot of ways like 2019 was a drop-off in 2018 at least in terms of the regular season because 2019 like that's when she kind of showed that she's not going to get played off the court in the WNBA finals right she was able to make 40 percent of her threes against Connecticut after in the 2018 finals like she kind of did get played off the court and you know was not really closing games was playing like 18 minutes a game against Seattle and and was really shrinking the floor for that Washington offense but her regular season in 2018 was really good so it's, it's kind of interesting like you said. yeah so uh it's it's funny how that works but she's awesome like she's a player that I would want to have on my team that's what you just said is, is a great way to summarize Natasha Cloud. Again, I don't really like throwing out the intangibles and the and the IQ and the and the stuff that goes beyond the box score, but for her it definitely applies. Particularly in that one, she can switch a ton. She can guard anybody out of out of the perimeter, basically, which is a huge benefit to have from your lead guard, because you're not really hiding them. You're 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 rather you're you're it's almost like you're you're determining the action on defense with your lead guard. And other than maybe Jasmine Thomas, I don't think you can say that about any of the players we've talked about. And then, you know, the three-point shooting, yeah, it's not great. But she can still get to the rim. She's got a very strong upper body. And it's like, you look at, I mean, you look at her, she's not, she doesn't have the body of a traditional lead guard. She's got the body of a wing. But she can play, she can play the lead guard position perfectly fine. And it's interesting, uh, I, I also have her directly below Jasmine Thomas. Maybe... I don't know. Let me let me propose something to you. So Jasmine Thomas is an elite on-ball defender, right? How would you weigh her on-ball defense versus Natasha Cloud's, let's say, switchability? That's a great question. I think that switchability, you know, even if, you know, Cloud is just like very, very good at just playing on-ball instead of like maybe the best in, in the game, like I, I think that's just a little bit more valuable because it brings different things. Like we saw in this matchup a couple of years ago, like Connecticut's inability to switch just led to open pick and pop three after pick and pop three for Emma Miesemann. So, you know, that necessarily wasn't all on Jasmine Thomas, but it just goes to show you need to be able to kind of do different things uh, and be able to prepare in different ways. And and that switchability, even if it's only going to come out like one, you know, three game series or five game series a year or or every two years, it's still incredibly valuable. So, so uh, that that's interesting that you propose it that way. I'm just curious because, I mean, I think Thomas and Cloud are both players who are on their respective positions of our lists because of their defense rather than their offense. So I just, I was just curious to see how you factored in on versus off ball. Yeah. And it's funny, you know, I would say probably at least eight teams in the league guard Chelsea Gray with their wings. These are the two point guards that match up against Mm -hmm. Chelsea Gray because they have the strength to do it. Yeah. Good point. Uh, Okay. Who would you have uh, after? Okay, so just to, to kind of recap that tier, because we're going to a new one, I had five players uh, in this order. Arike, Kelsey Mitchell, Jasmine Thomas, Natasha Cloud, and Crystal Dangerfield. To start tier five, I have two players, Kelsey Plum, who we talked about, and then a player I think I'm probably a little bit higher on than you, nominally, I guess, uh, is Leilani Mitchell. Okay, you are a few players higher on Leilani than I am. Uh, why is she in that tier? 
honestly, I, I think it's just because of her fit with this Washington team once they're going to have everybody back and the season that she had in 2019 in Phoenix. But, you know, she is, as I mentioned with Tolliver, one of the older players on this list. Uh, she's going to be in, going into her age 36 season, amazingly. And it, she's just kind of seems like a bit of an every other year player these last few seasons. So, so maybe she's kind of due for a bounce back again in 2021. And this was a player that I thought I was going to be lower on than, than you, just because I think a lot of people are high on Leilani Mitchell, but you know, she's just, I, I don't know. I, I was, I was underwhelmed by her, by her 2020 season, even with Washington missing a lot of key players, but it, I mean, you're even lower on her than me. So I guess I, I don't really have to defend me having her. No, so no, well. no, no, it's, it's okay. It's okay. Uh, Bilani for me, like, I, I think this, this past season, this, 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 this situation you're describing is actually well representative of, of her shortcomings as a player, because she's not a player who is going to elevate the game of too many other people on the court. Like as a playmaker, she's solid, but not spectacular. As a shooter, I mean, she's a terrific spot-up shooter, but I mean, she's not like she goes hot and cold. You know, I mean, I I think I mean she was the most improved player again, thirty-four I mean, years you, old. You have to be really good to be the most improved twice. That's true. But my question is, what were you doing in those eight seasons in between? <laughs> why are you not the? Why were you not most improved player ten seasons? Yeah, you know, that that award sucks. But anyway, it's like I think so much of her game is is as you said about Tarazi is solely dependent on those three point shots going down. So maybe her statistical profile in Phoenix in 2019 was reflected better on her game than she actually played. Does that make sense? Yeah. And one thing I'll say about Leilani Mitchell is I think having Natasha cloud back is going to do a lot of good for her. Like oh, I yeah, think yeah, she's, yeah. she's best as your second best guard, you know what I mean? Or, or even your third best guard, but just to, to not be your kind of every single play point guard, uh, and be the one running all the pick and rolls and kind of all the initiating for her to be able to kind of take more of a, a secondary, uh, you know, attacking closeouts or, or being more off the ball, I think is going to, you know, set her up for a bounce back season, at least offensively. And you can hide her defensively. Yeah, sure. Um, I have her like, uh, I'm, I'm a, like I said, I'm a few players lower on her than you are, but she's my first player in my, in my tier four spot starters or players who I'd rather have coming off the bench. I think she's a great six woman. I'm just not sold on her as a starter. Yeah. And that's, that's kind of always been the case with Leilani Mitchell. You know, even in her, even in her prime when she was in New York, I mean, it's still like with the size and I'm not going to say she can't get to the rim because she can, but it's not really that much of a threat, you know? And she's kind of, as you said, a secondary or tertiary playmaker rather than a primary one. So she's a fine player. Just not, not, just not a player who I'd like to have as a starter. Yeah, that's totally fair. So that was my tier five, Kelsey Plum and Leilani Mitchell. We are now on to one, two, three, four players that I have in tier six before getting into kind of my spot starters. These are, I think, players that, and now, honestly, I feel dumb having Kennedy Carter this low, but, uh, you know, I, I just, she she didn't really impact winning this season and, and she's going to be much higher next year. But um, sure. here are, are my four players in this tier. I'll, I'll go through them all and we can kind of figure out where we want to start. Number 13, Odyssey Sims. Number 14, Kennedy Carter. Number 15, Erica Wheeler. Number 16, Bria Hartley. Okay, and we you are more specific in your tiers than I am, so you, you got to let me catch up here. How many how many players are we are we in? We're on our what, 14th or 15th player now? I, I'm, I'm on my 13th player in the tier, but I think oh, we, we've been kind of bouncing around a little bit, so. You know, it gets, and, and for, for you listeners out there, all you listeners out there, um, this is where Steven and I were, were kind of starting to talk about like off air. Well, it gets kind of difficult, you know, once you get past the clear stars and the clear superstars, you know, who's, who's average is above average and who's above average is average, you know? So I'm, I'm, I think uh, we can probably start getting a little more general here. Also, because if we continue talking at this pace, we're going to be here for like three hours. Sure. So, Feedback so for, yeah. we've gotten to, I think we've, we've maybe talked a, a little bit, of more of some players that I have than, than players that you have. So okay. we, we, we talked about Thomas and Natasha Cloud. Who else is in that tier for you? Okay, well put. Um, I have Jordan Canada, Julie Alamond, and Odyssey Sims. Canada, more than any other player on this list, even Thomas, is on here because of her defense. And I'll tell you why. It's because of her defensive playmaking. 
maybe honestly I was a little bit disappointed in her this season because I, she didn't really take that next step where no she had the opportunity to with Sue Bird kind of getting the the load management I mean she had a she had a, some knee soreness I believe but let's be honest Sue Bird didn't need to play for most of the season Jordan Canada had ample opportunity to take that next step uh still doesn't really have a reliable jump shot beyond the three-point line or even inside of the three-point line for that matter but she is so good at getting to the rim and she is so good in transition and she is so good at the point of attack and creating havoc with her hands and, you know, creating transition opportunities. I think that's huge for a player. So even if she's not like a player who you're going to guard beyond three point line, which is not good, you know, that's, that, that's something that I think we need to take into consideration more as a fan base. She is so good at making up for it on the other end. She's kind of boomer bust, if you will, but I, I'm still really high on her just because of her transition play and because of her point of attack defense. Yeah, I I think I'm I'm a little bit lower on her than you. And because okay, you uh, entered the season, you entered the season very high on her, if I recall correctly. Uh, kind of. I I really kind of waffle on her, to to be honest with you. Like I I was pretty low on her, like at the start of last off season, and then I kind of talked myself into it. And she she just. You know, it's funny too, because I think she was like second, I, I think in the league in it, like assists per game, you know, but I, I still don't really consider her that good of an offensive player, despite her being like a, a good finisher around the rim and, and everything else. But, you know, her, her liabilities are so glaring and, and yeah. they just really get taken advantage of uh, at every opportunity that, um, you know, she, she definitely has a, a huge opportunity to kind of rise on this list, I think, uh, in the next couple of years, but she's not quite there for me. Um, quick uh, addendum, I want to say, I also had Julie Alamon in that tier with Kelsey Plum and Leilani Mitchell, but somehow uh, I missed her when I was going through this list. But anyway, Canada, f- for me, you know, the, the offense, it's, it's kind of like what we talked about with Jasmine Thomas, but, but way, way worse because she can't hit a spot up three. Literally cannot. Like, like it's it's very very bad. But for Canada's, I mean, I think she just needs to find a a lower gear, if if I can put it that way. Sure. I mean, she's just so fast and so explosive, and so good at getting the rim. But you know, some of those finishes, like I love seeing Jordan Canada finish at the hoop because it's so fun seeing a little guard who can explode like that. But at the same time, I feel like a lot of the times she doesn't make the right play at the basket like she gets too deep and she tries those acrobatic finishes when there is a very capable. I mean, Seattle's front court. It's pretty decent, right? But you can have like a player like Jordan County getting into the paint. You would think they'd feast all day. And that's not something I feel like is a huge part of their game right now. Again, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe the numbers prove me wrong. But I am not that afraid of Jordan Canada going to the hoop and dropping it off to Natasha Howard for some reason. I don't know. Sure. I think she just needs to find that, that lower gear. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, okay. I agree with you. Good. So the rest of these players in, in my tier – Odyssey Sims at, at 14, Kennedy Carter, we, we talked about Erica Wheeler, you know, she Wheeler for me, I'll just mention briefly because you kind of already talked about her. Like the, the shooting season to season isn't quite reliable enough for me. And I just don't think she, you know, she can reliably get all the way to the rim and that's valuable, but I, I just don't think she does enough other things. I think at a high level for me to kind of have her any higher than here. Where did you have Bria Hartley? Okay. So I had Bria Hartley. I had her 19th in my spot starter, but would rather have coming off the bench. Okay. So only a couple of spots lower than that. Yeah. This is another player who I I think just ran really hot last year. And maybe it was because she was playing in a, in a strong offensive lineup because I think Bria Hartley did a lot of things last season that I don't think either of us were expecting her to, as far as both scoring with volume and scoring with efficiency. So very, very so I don't think her scoring ability is in much of his question. It's just that she's just so average at everything else. And that's fine. But again, now now when we're getting into the starter versus bench player debate at this point of the list, uh, I need to see more out of her to be a a consistent starting caliber player. Yeah. And this is our rankings, you know, 17 and 19 for her respectively. Like that's that's low based on just what she did in 13 games last season, but that was pretty anomalous for what she's done the rest of her career. She was playing way above the level that she really had ever done before in terms of both her individual efficiency and her playmaking. Like it was the highest true shooting percentage of her career by a lot, her highest assist rate by a lot, her lowest turnover rate by a lot, her highest usage rate by a lot, her highest three point shooting percentage 
by a lot. And it was in 13 <laughs> games and she's coming off a very serious injury. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, I think people will kind of understand that we, why we have her so low here. So, you know, she's, if that's the player that she continues to be in Phoenix, she'll, she'll probably be a little bit higher, but I'm, I'm skeptical coming off that injury, having never really produced at that level before going into her age 28 season, you know? Yeah. She and she and Wheeler are probably the two biggest question marks for me on this list. Sure. So that's, that's my tier uh, six here. You know, the, the rest of these players, you know, we don't have to really touch on too much. Uh, I had a tier seven of, Five players, Marina Mabry, Lasia Clarendon, Breon January, D-Rob, and Jordan Canada, and, and then, you know, the rest of the players after that uh, in, in a separate tier. Okay, I have immediately after Beer Hartley, who I had 19th, I had Mabry, Jackie Young, and Clarendon. Those are, those are the rest of my spot starters. And then my sixth tier, who will be the clear bench players, Daniel Robinson, Renee Montgomery, Ty Harris, Taya Cooper, and Breon January. I, am I too low on Breon January? No, I don't think so. I think if anything, you're maybe too low on D Rob. I mean, she she proved that, you know, in in the right role, she can be pretty effective. That's uh, true. Like like I think she's clearly a better player than you know Renee Montgomery at this point or something like that. But or or the the rookie point guards. Um, well, I did have her above Renee, but clearly, like, as far as the tiers are concerned, okay, sure. But like she's she's better right now than like Jackie Young. Like she's more productive. She's a more productive player than Jackie Young. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, there's a reason why Jackie Young. Actually, I shouldn't say that. Because, I mean, there, there is also a reason why Dierke Hammy wasn't starting, but it had nothing to do with her playing ability. So, <laughs> yeah, that, that's what, – what a weird team that is. All right. So who uh, on this list do you consider kind of the most likely to rise if we do this again the same time in, in next offseason? I see Kennedy Carter rising from an above-average starter to a star. Mm-hmm. Uh, if Arike – if I consider Arike Ogunbowale a star after a year two, I think Kennedy Carter is going to be a star after a year two. I do also think that – Jordan Canada has room to get a lot, a lot of room to get better. I need to see it though. You know, when Sue Bird eventually calls it quits when she's 60 years old or whatever, and Jordan Canada does get the keys to that car, there's no reason for her not to not take the next step because that team is loaded. Yep. For sure. All those players you? that you just mentioned, you know, Crystal Dangerfield, I think could, could maybe rise another tier as well, or, or at least get a little bit higher in that tier that she was currently in. Uh, Kelsey Plum, I think, has some some room to improve, at least from where I put her. Sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, just like a, a stable kind of regular season that sort of reflects where she was uh, during that playoff run, I think would really kind of uh, move her up. Um, how about in terms of players dropping on this list? Well, I guess I had Wheeler a little too high. Uh, I think she's pretty likely to drop because she's just – it's not that she's a bad player. It's just that I think – she's pretty unlikely to repeat that shooting performance that she had in, in 2019, both from both behind the three point line and just inside the three point line, because I, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but when we last talked about her like this, she was really, really good for like 16 to 21 feet. And I don't know, in an offense that really had no problem emphasizing that shot that season. I mean, it's just hard for me to see her repeating that success. And then maybe Sue Bird as well, only because I think we're going to get to a point where Sue Bird just like plays 10 games in a season or whatever. And then they just break her out of the shed for the, for the playoffs. Um, and it's going to be very, very hard to continue justifying having her that high. Sure. You know, mm-hmm. how about you? Yeah. I mean, I think all of these like older players, like Diana Taurasi, like if she, I mean, I, I don't think she'll come back for a season after this upcoming one, but uh, all, all the older players for sure. I mean, maybe, I mean, if, if Leilani Mitchell, even aside from her age is, is still playing, I could see me ranking her a, a little bit lower. I don't know. It's it's kind of hard to maybe bake in some of this regression. Kelsey Mitchell having her at eight, you know, maybe if she just has another season where she's kind of creating efficiently for herself, but and the team still stinks, uh, you know, may, maybe that's a little bit too high. How about the player that you're kind of least confident in your placing just in terms of where they are now uh, and, and having really not talked to, to anybody kind of putting these rankings together? For me, it's probably say, Skylar Diggins-Smith. Yeah, that's the first name that came to mind as well. Again, because of the anomalous shooting. But, I mean, for her, I, don't, I wouldn't say it's like a, as anomalous as Wheel, as someone like Wheeler's because we know that Skylar Diggins can get to the rim um, and, and, and finish. So it's not like that's that's totally out of the blue. But I don't know. You, 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 you probably saw me kind of waffling around with her. Is she better than Bird? Is she better than Enrique? Is she not? Uh, I think Plum as well because it's – 
Uh, if she didn't miss this season with a knee injury, I'd be a lot more confident in, the, in that. It was an Achilles, she, I think. Oh, an Achilles. Yeah, you're right. You're right. You're right. I mean, even more so then. Yeah. And if she wasn't playing for Bill Lambeer, I'd be more confident than that. So two things working against her there as a, as a lead guard. I think she's got the potential to be there. I, I feel like she should be there. But if she's not there next year, I mean, there'll be reason enough why. Anything else? Who are you least confident in? Kelsey Plum, for sure. Skylar Diggins-Smith. Uh, oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. Oh, Kel- Kelsey Mitchell. You know, uh, similar reasons that that I just said. Uh, I mean, maybe I'm I'm too low on Arike Gumbawale having her seventh, but honestly, I think that's about fair to be honest. So maybe I'm too you high talk about not not having contributed. To, you talk about not contributing to winning basketball. I mean, sure, that's pretty I mean, much the she she was awesome down the stretch of the season when they were really fighting for a playoffs spot. Yeah, again. Remember her rookie season, she just ignited in the second half. Yeah. And this season, we're like, well, that, that's probably going to correct. That's probably going to, you know, law of averages or what have you, it's going to regress. But again, she was better in the second half than the first. Maybe she's just a second half player. I don't know. Oh, oh uh, I have one more point to make. For those of you listening, you may wonder, where is Sabrina Unescu? I'll tell you, Sabrina Unescu played two and a half games this year. We, we did not include Sabrina Unescu. Sorry. That's uh, a good point to make. I kind of forgot that we didn't include her in this list. And I'm not going to say, I, I wanted to ask you, well, Stephen, well, where, where do you think she's going to rank next year? But it's, it's not, that's not a, someone else going to have, have that discussion, you know? I mean, we just didn't see enough from her in, in her rookie season, unfortunately. One pretty stinky game, one really, really freaking good game, one game in which she got injured. So it's like, there's, there's just not enough to go off of. I do think she'll be one of the best point guards in the league, but I'm not getting any more specific than that. Sure. Uh, this is a fun exercise. Looking forward to doing it for the wings and bigs as well. Anything else you'd like to add? No. Thank you all for listening. Please subscribe, rate, and review wherever you get your podcasts. We're available on Apple Podcasts, on uh, Google Podcast Manager, and on Spotify. Please add us, uh, follow us on Twitter, or, or just engage with us overall at Double Down WNBA or our personal accounts at Nemchak E and at Trinkwald. All right. Thank you so much for listening, everybody. Stay safe and stay healthy.